Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Well, this is a special episode of the Beeson Podcast. It's that time of the year when we celebrate the Nativity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Feast of the Incarnation, we call Christmas. And to help me talk about that in a very personal way is my wife, Denise George. Denise is a writer. She is uh, right now working on a book on World War II. She's written over 25 books, just an amazing writer. And one of the books that she wrote a number of years ago is based on a personal experience that the two of us shared once we had moved to Boston, Massachusetts, back in 1972. The book is called Johnny Cornflakes. Well, Denise, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Well, thank you, Timothy. I'm glad to be here. And I always love to talk about Johnny Cornflakes, especially since it is a shared experience. Uh, Before we get to Johnny, it might be helpful for some of our listeners who don't know us so well to know that uh, we have been married almost 44 years. Yes, forever. (laughs) And uh, that goes back – before we were in Boston, we are both from the Chattanooga, Tennessee area, and we actually met at your home church, Flintstone Baptist Church. Tell us that story. Well, I was a member of Flintstone, and uh, we were having a youth revival, and the revivalist was Timothy George, this uh, whippersnapper 19-year-old in this flashy yellow jacket. I'll a never youth evangelist. Forget. A youth evangelist, <laughs> yes. I saw saw Timothy George and immediately just fell in love with him. Well, that was mutual. But don't forget to tell about the fact that you were dating the pastor's son, who was one of my best friends. Well, I wasn't going to tell that just in case <laughs> he listens to this podcast. But, yes, he was uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, minister's son, but uh, Timothy just took my breath away. And so um, we dated for, what, nine months, and then we married. And our first life together was actually in a parsonage because I was called to be the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church in Chickamauga, Georgia. And we were married on June seventh, 1970, and moved into the church parsonage. We were there for two and a half years. And then I finished my undergraduate studies, and so the decision was made to go to seminary. Uh, We won't go into that long process of discernment about moving from Chickamauga, Georgia, to Boston, Massachusetts, where I was going to attend Harvard Divinity School. But we did find ourselves there in an inner-city situation in Chelsea, Massachusetts, in 1972. And it was another world, another culture. I had never been out of Tennessee. I had never ridden a city bus. And I remember... Remember, the first thing we did when we went into Boston, I walked into a grocery store and I said, could you please tell me where the grits are? And he said, the what? And I said, the grits, G-R-I-T-S. And he sent me to the foreign food section and he said, here they are, y'all. And I knew (laughs) I was out of my element. Well, let's get to the Johnny Cornflakes part of the story. We're now living in Chelsea, Massachusetts, in the inner city, confronting, as you say, a wholly different culture than anything either of us had known in our lives at that point. And in the context of that, tell us how we came to meet Johnny, Johnny Cornflakes. Well, I was Little Miss Proper. I was only about 19 
20 years old, and I was going to give a dinner party. We had some guests to come from out of town. We were living in this century-old parsonage, and nothing worked. The chairs were weak. The furniture was ugly, early, early ugly. And we had absolutely no money. And I had prepared this this wonderful dinner of onion soup, all with one onion, and a sweet potato surprise with one sweet potato. And we sat them all around the table, and uh, I was just so excited to have them there, but uh, we just had just a very skimpy dinner. And all of a sudden, before I served the first dipper full of onion soup, the front door burst open, and our guests just gasped. They'd never been in the inner city before. They were all from the south. And I just froze, and there in all of his inebriated glory stood Johnny Cornflakes. And he had a half-emptied whiskey bottle in his right hand. And he saw the table and shouted out with happiness and came over to the table. And he bowed and gave us one of his toothless grins. And he picked up the large serving spoon with his hand and started waving it and then began shoveling my sweet potato surprise right into his mouth from the the <laughs> serving dish. And I just froze. I, I just couldn't believe what was happening. It was like something out of a Stephen King novel, the dinner party nightmare. Now, we, you know, we laugh about it now, but of course, it wasn't very funny at the time. We were sort of mortified, and I, our guest even more so. But tell us how Johnny Cornflakes got that name. That's how he was known. He was he was a street person in Chelsea. He had been uh, in prison, in and out of prison. He had no family. Why was he called Johnny Cornflakes? Well, he would go through the trash cans, and uh, he liked the cereal that was left in the uh, empty boxes, and he would go through the trash cans and eat the last few flakes in the cereal boxes. And so the street kids, the kids who just lived on the streets, dubbed him Johnny Cornflakes, and the name just stuck. Now, you mentioned the street kids. One of the things that we did almost from the beginning when we moved into Chelsea was to begin a Friday night Bible study. We were trying to reach out to this city, these Young people, many of them, as you say, the street kids, uh, some of them on drugs, broken homes, alcoholism was a big problem, drugs, all that sort of thing. So I said, what can we do? Well, I didn't know much what to do. So we started a Friday night Bible study, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we just studied verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Gospel of John. We began with two or three of those street kids, and week by week, their numbers grew. And I have to say, looking back on it, uh, this was really a remarkable spiritual renewal that was happening in our community with those young people. I baptized 25 new Christians in the first year we were in Chelsea. And this youth group, uh, the the street kids who became these uh, born-again Christians in Chelsea, Massachusetts, they played a very important role in the Johnny Cornflake story. So tell us how that came to be, Denise. It was very interesting because one night we were studying Matthew 25, and one of the street kids opened his Bible. He, it took him a long time to even find the passage, and he opened the Bible, and he said, he started to read, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And he goes on, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And 
he realized, this little guy, Sam, that uh, we were talking about the least of these and that all of them in the room were the least of these. And then uh, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, and he read the scripture, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And they really took that to heart. They had not heard that before when they read that in the scripture. About that time, Johnny walked in. And it was getting pretty cold in New England, blustery New England winter. And Johnny walked in, and they all looked down and saw Johnny's foot. And his foot was just a twisted mass. He didn't have a sock on. It had been crippled by a childhood disease, and it was stuffed into an oversized shoe had a gaping hole in the toe, and Johnny had pushed cardboard into the hole, trying to keep the snow out of his shoe. And one of the kids, Jason, said, you know, it won't be long till winter snow comes, and and everyone was looking at Johnny's shoe, and he said, I think Jesus would want us to buy Johnny another shoe. And they all said, well, yeah, isn't Johnny one of the least of these we just read about? And and this is what Jesus would want us to do. And they all emptied their pockets and they counted out about $15. And in that day, you know, that was a lot of money. Nobody had $15 to their name. And they said, this should be enough money for a shoe. So the next day, Timothy uh, took Johnny to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, sure, we can make him a shoe, but it's going to be more than $15. It's going to be $113. And we went back to the Bible study kids and they said, uh, oh my goodness, I've never had that. I've never seen that much money. And of course, we didn't have that much money. We could just afford one onion and one sweet potato. And so we couldn't buy the shoes. So the Bible study kids said, well, we'll just have to go out and earn it. So that's what they did. You know, I've never, I've never been in a group, I think, where there was such an immediate response to a specific text of Scripture. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers, you did for me, those words of Jesus. And those young people didn't stop to theologize about that or think deeply about it. They just said, hey, this applies to us. We've got to do something. So um, they took up that first $15, and then they realized it's going to take a lot more. So they organized this. I and the church, that little church we had there, really did nothing except cheer them on and pray for them and help them a little as best we could. It was their initiative. They went out and began to work. Uh, Some of them uh, had jobs, odd jobs, all kinds of ways. And at the end of the day, they actually had collected enough money to buy Johnny Cornflakes the orthopedic shoes that he needed to give him warm feet in that blustery New England winter. But then something happened. Johnny Cornflakes disappeared. We had the shoe Everybody had put their money into buying the shoe. Winter came. Christmas came. We had a huge fire in Chelsea, and it burned down almost the entire city of Chelsea. Everyone was scattered. Our church became a clearinghouse for people. Uh, the church, the fire just devastated the whole city of Chelsea, and for a long time, As Christmas was coming, we lost touch with Johnny. And here we had this expensive shoe and all of these Bible study kids helping everybody, all the least of these now, 
in Chelsea because they had burned out of their homes. They had no clothes. They had no food. And we just became a big clearinghouse. And donations came in. And we were trying to feed all the hungry, clothe all the all the naked in the city. And uh, we got so caught up in that, we just almost forgot about Johnny and his shoe. And finally, at one of our uh, meetings, one of the kids, Bible study kids, said, you know, we still haven't given Johnny his shoe. We are still forgetting one of our least of these, Johnny Cornflakes. We need to go find him and give him his shoe. And we looked and we looked and we looked and we could not find Johnny Cornflakes. Now, Timothy, I think this book has such a wonderful twist surprise ending I just really don't think that we should give away the ending because it is the fun part of the book and it is unpredictable and no one could guess the Christmas ending to this book. Well, you know, they can get the book. The book is available through Amazon.com, Johnny Cornflakes. So if you want to know the other side of the story or how the story ends, then perhaps you can get a book, Johnny Cornflakes by Denise George. And there's also a study guide that you have prepared, Denise, that can be used by churches who want to study, and particularly in this season of the year, focus on those who are in need all around us. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. This is a Christmas story, and I wrote it specifically so that families can sit down with their children from about middle school on up. You can sit down with your family, read this book, And it just naturally brings out questions about the least of these and about people who have so little and how we can help them and why we should help them and what Jesus says about the least of these. I have written study questions that I would be happy to send to you as a gift from Beeson Divinity School. It will prompt different questions and give family scripture readings. If you will email me at my email address, cdwg at aol.com. Let me give you that again. C as in Cheryl, D as in Denise, W as in Weiss, G as in George, C-D-W-G, at AOL.com. And I will send it to you in a PDF format, the study questions. Uh, This is a book for family, and these study questions are for group study and for personal reflection. And just go to Amazon.com. Type in Johnny Cornflakes. It is published by Christian Focus Publishers, a publisher in Scotland. But the least expensive way to get it is through Amazon.com. I know uh, recently you heard from some people back in that era of Chelsea. The fire, by the way, and the winter we're talking about in Chelsea was 1973. And so um, s- somehow someone wrote you, they saw this notice about Johnny Cornflakes, and they wrote you and remembered their own experience with Johnny those many years ago. Yes. In fact, someone pretending to be Johnny Cornflakes started Johnny Cornflakes on a Facebook site. And so Johnny Cornflakes has his own Facebook. Of course, Johnny Cornflakes is no longer living. He was an old man back in the early 70s. But people from that time still keep 
keep up with each other, and they post pictures about Chelsea. You can go to Chelsea, the Chelsea Fire, 1973, and you can see pictures of the Chelsea Fire, and old pictures of Chelsea had a fire 100 years before that, and you can see pictures of of Chelsea. And there was a picture of Johnny, I think, that was uh, from the newspaper or something at that time. Yes, someone sent me a picture of Johnny, and I would be glad to send that to you also if you'd like to see a picture of Johnny. So this was a real person. Absolutely. And I mean, you tell this is a story. It's a little fictionalized at points, but it re- there really was a Johnny Cornflakes, and the story about the young people, and they're reaching out to him in love in Jesus' name and taking up the money for his uh, shoes. All that is true. It's based on fact. And uh, we don't know where Johnny Cornflakes, uh, after that event, what happened to him. But, you know, there's another part of this story, Denise, and that's the young people. What happened to them? Uh, this this Bible study group. Well, just recently, in the last month or so, on a trip I made to Boston to speak at Gordon College, I had a reunion with some of the young people in that group. I call them young people. They're now in their mid-50s, you know. I was just a few years, we were just a few years older than they were at the time, but a number of them have kept very strong and sturdy in their Christian faith. Those young people I baptized that first year. Some of them are leaders, elders in their churches, and others I'm not sure what what have happened to them. I've lost touch with them. But to know that there's a core of those young people who receive the good news of Jesus Christ, his coming into the world, his his love and his grace is still active in their life. And that was such an encouraging thing to me to renew fellowship with those street kids who are now at a different stage in life, but still with the glow of the fire of Christ in their hearts. And that's been 40 years ago. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, we're so glad to share this story. It's a very personal story to us, one that we live through and think about fondly, especially at this season of the year. And Denise, if you could just summarize uh, one lesson from Johnny Cornflakes, one that folks could take with them in this season of the year as we think about how we can be vehicles, instruments of God's grace and his love, what would it be? I think it would be the verse from Matthew twenty-five forty. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And Christmas can be a time when we can reach out. We know what the needs are because uh, people tell us at Christmas what those needs are. Needs like prison fellowship, so many needs that we can reach out and help people and share Christ through this season with others especially the least of these. Uh, Let me close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your marvelous, unspeakable gift of love in Jesus Christ our Lord. The fact that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Though he were the king of the universe, yet he became a pauper, entered into this world, and died on the cross for our sins. We thank you for his birth. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We praise you and thank you for his resurrection and for the promise of his coming again in glory. And so, Lord, at this season of the year, we pray for all the Johnny Cornflakes who are out there in the world today, those who are hurting, those who are cold, those who are hungry. And we ask that you will make us to be instruments of your love and grace, encouragement and help to them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.